generation to know and to love Jesus Christ, to follow after you from kindergarten till sixth grade. If you would like to join them, uh, we have all of our faith factory together, worshiping together this morning. Oftentimes, at the end of every month, we will bring the kids into our big church, if you will, into our services, and they worship with us. Well, on these fifth Sundays, three times a year, we have all of our parents go up to the faith factory and worship there with them. And that's just one of our ongoing commitments to reaching the next generation, to sharing with them. I also want to let you know that Carrie's Chorale and some of the other groups that are normally a part of our worship experience, uh, some of our orchestra are gone today out ministering, and so uh, we want to pray for Dr. Dykes and for those students as they travel, but we are so grateful for the impact and influence that William Carey has had uh, on our worship and the partnership we have together, so we're grateful for them. Let me start out by asking you a very, very simple question. How many of you absolutely cannot stand to be late? Anybody? How many of you live with somebody that, well, never mind, I don't want to go there and create those kinds of problems. All of us know what it is like to be late. Let me just illustrate it this way. Any of you ever been on your way from here to pedal? Or maybe on your way from pedal back and you know that the possibility exists but you get caught by a train somewhere downtown and you have to sit and wait. I I see people, I see that hand. People are testifying this morning. What happens when you are late? It seems like everybody consciously and intentionally slows down. That's at least what it seems like. Maybe you're stuck somewhere on Hardy Street and you need to be from one side of town to the other and it seems like all of time slows down. Being late doesn't seem to bother some people. That bothers me. Maybe it bothers you. Some people hate to be late. They don't like it at all. There are some cultures in the world that it's, it's acceptable and even appropriate to be late. It's the rule of the day. There are some cultures in the world where it is 10 o'clock until it's 11 o'clock. And if you show up at 10.55, you're still on time for 10. Some of you would like it if we adopted that culture. Some of you are working off of that time frame already. You know, it's been said that lateness has been incorporated into Baptist theology. We believe in, in, in incredible doctrines of truth. We believe in justification and regeneration and sanctification and procrastination. We have added that into our theological mix. And I, I know that there are many people, maybe even in this room, that fit that, uh, that description. I, if you want me to prove it, just ask you to sign up on a deadline. I, I am amazed that we are a last-minute people as Baptists. Somebody has once said that the Lord has not yet revealed the time of His second coming because the Baptists would be late. Most of us understand what working under the constraints of deadlines is like. Maybe if there's an important event uh, that's coming up, we understand working under timetables. Students, you understand you have deadlines for exams or for papers. You have things that you have to turn in. But let me ask you this. Did you know that God has a timetable? That God is working on a timetable? Now, we know that God is outside of the limitations of time, and yet He works in time. And he always works on time. In fact, I want you to see that sometimes our timetables are the same as his, but oftentimes they're not at all. 
and we want God to hurry up and do certain things or we want God to maybe delay certain things. His timetable may not be ours and it may not be in our time, but God is always right on time. Would you agree with that? He's never late, but he's never early based on our estimation of time. God is an on-time God. The very first Christmas demonstrated that. It reminds us that Jesus came to earth. He left heaven and came to earth at just the right time. In fact, our text today, you can go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, there's one phrase in the middle of this New Testament epistle that summarizes the time frame that we're studying in our chronological journey. We've been walking from the Old Testament stories to understand the promises and the prophecies of a Messiah that is to come. And we've read all the way through Malachi. And this week we started reading in the New Testament. In fact, I had someone in our Sunday school class last week say that this week, Tuesday, in fact, was Hallelujah Day. Because we were finished with the Old Testament. We were starting in the New. And they weren't saying that because they don't like the Old Testament or not because they don't understand it, but because of all of the anticipation that is left. When we finish the book of Malachi, we are left with this hunger and this desire and this longing for something we know is coming, something on God's timetable. And we're going to look together today at this period of time between the Testaments, if you will. 400 years we'll look at. But as we start with this notion in Galatians, here's what it says. You can turn there in just a moment. We'll actually read from it. But, but the phrase is, when the fullness of time had come. Isn't that an amazing statement? When the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son. Let me ask you this. Have you ever considered there was an exact right time, a specific time for Jesus to come to the earth. Pastor, does that mean in all of history there was one time when all things were perfectly aligned and right for the coming of Jesus? Yes. There was no other time, Pastor, that he could have come? No. No other time. The Bible says here in Galatians that at just the right time. He came. I believe that is exactly, precisely what our text today teaches. Jesus came at the right time. And so I've called today's message in the fullness of time. Now, it should be important to us to understand this and to think about this and to contemplate it for our sake. And here's why. Because God continues to work in lives at just the right time. In fact, say that phrase with me. At just the right time. You ready? Here we go. At just the right time. Maybe, just maybe, today, God wants to move in your life in a very special way. Maybe, just maybe, God today wants to solve some problem in your life through the preaching of this message and the gathering of this service. Maybe today, God wants to give you an answer that you've been seeking Maybe he wants to give you and impart to you wisdom that you have desperately needed. Maybe today God is telling you, today is the day for you to commit your life to my son Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day for you to trust me. So if that is the case, let me encourage you today, even now, before we come to the end of the service in a time of response, respond to the Lord today. Open yourself up to this special time. He will meet you just in I want us to examine today's text in light of what God was doing 
in working out his plan throughout history and in our lives. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to stand and read with me Galatians 4, 1 through 7. We'll put them on the screen for you to read, but I want us to read this together, sort of as a, a responsive reading, if you will. Let's read these together. You ready? Here we go. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 4 through verse 7, and we'll read it from the screen so we're all in the same translation. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Let's say that last line again. I was a little ahead of myself on the screen. God has made you his heir. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us to understand your divine timetable? Would you help us to understand that when you are not speaking, you are still actively working? God, that you are moving in our midst you were moving then, and you continue today to move. God, I believe with all of my heart there is someone here today that needs a message from you, and you have brought them to this place. They are not here by accident, that you desire to speak to them. So would you move in our midst today on your timetable? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to share with you this morning three aspects of God's fulfillment of the fullness of of time. Number one, I want you to see preparation. And if you're taking notes, I want to jot that word down, preparation. We are told that the first coming of Jesus came at just the right time. Other translations say in the fullness of time. The New Testament opens up with the announcement of an amazing, amazing concept. It's the pleroma. Let me write that to show you that word, the pleroma. It, it is a Greek word that simply means the fullness of time. It's translated that way, but it actually means even more than that. What the pleroma is, is the fullness of the Godhead in Jesus. That when Jesus Christ entered the scene there in Bethlehem, that the fullness of time had been complete. That his time here on earth, there's this keen sense that this brief moment in history is why all of history was created. There is a keen sense that the world had been longing for a Messiah, yearning for a Savior, wanting desperately one to come who would remedy the issue of our great need, the sinfulness and the separation that we had experienced from God. And as we've read through the Old Testament, we came up wanting, because that Pleroma had not yet come. The time was not yet fulfilled. And so what I want you to see this morning is there is an amazing time in history of preparation. God was lining up all of the world to receive this Savior and for his name to be spread. So between Malachi and the New Testament, there's a period of time of about 400 years. And we call these sometimes the silent years or the intertestamental period. And I, I don't want to nerd out too bad today, but there's going to be some history lesson in this because I want you to see how God works. 
God works in amazing ways. So we come to the end of this period, the closure of the Old Testament canon, the Hebrew Bible, if you will. And during this period, God no longer spoke through prophets as he had in the past. But make no mistake, because God was silent does not equal God's inactivity. No, he was working and he was moving. And you're going to see he was moving in the lives of philosophers and kings, of countries and conquerors. And he was lining up everything perfectly so that Galatians 4, 7 would be true. Where we would say, or Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness.